Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions here in Florida. And I'm Michael Adam Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions Florida and the director of Fresh Expressions UM. And today, we are joined by my friend, Chris Sledge, lead and founding pastor of The Journey Church in urban Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The Journey celebrates both its ability to connect with young adults and its diversity. And I mean, it's diverse, y'all. It's amazing. Uh, And they believe that through the empowerment and love of the Holy Spirit, they can make space uh, and welcome all people. Outside of ministry, Chris is a proud husband to Hannah, father to Lydia, and friend. And he loves to travel, enjoys laughing with friends, reading at local coffee shops, and enjoying craft beer. So, Chris, the first question we like to ask all of our our guests is, who is Chris Sledge? That's great. Well, Michael Piper, so glad to be on with y'all. Um, so you said a little bit, Michael, but I'll kind of go. So yes, I married to my partner, Hannah. Being a father is actually pretty essential to me. I didn't grow up with a father. Uh, and so being a dad and becoming a dad uh, less than two years ago was like life altering. And so when I think about who I am now, a father, dad is a proud statement. Uh, and I, I mm-hmm. love my daughter a lot. Um, and and I think uh, part of that is I think about my own life a little bit. Like I'm just grateful not to be overly cheesy too quickly. Just like I feel like in the, in the midst of the brokenness in my childhood that like I feel grateful for just the redemption of who I am today um, and proud of my name. For many years of my life, I wasn't proud of the name Sledge, but now I'm proud of it, uh, just of, of who my family is. And so I get to be a pastor, get to be a friend. Uh, I would say that maybe the biggest thing about me is like I love I love some good adventure. And so Piper and Michael, if you want to travel somewhere in the world together, like I'm in to the craziest <laughs> thing, right? So love adventure, love traveling, love people, uh, love coffee and craft beer. And so uh, I'm just grateful uh, uh, to be me and to, and to know and claim who I am today. Uh, and so glad to be on with you all today. Awesome. awesome. Coffee and beer. That's my kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've started churches in just about every one of those kind of spots, haven't you, Piper? Yes, yes. <laughs> so they're good, good environments it creates around those, those drinks, those activities. You can brew a lot of things. That's right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the story of the journey um, and how does it stand apart from other churches? Yeah, it's a great question. So, uh, Basically, the journey came about from a merger uh, of a few urban dying churches in the city of Harrisburg. And so there were like multiple churches, older, average age like 70 plus, white. They were like traveling in from the suburbs and like really traveling into the suburbs. Um, and, and it was kind of this process called Impact Harrisburg. And the goal behind it really was how can we consolidate to do something new, younger, more diverse, that's in touch with the neighborhood, in touch with young people, and this was even more inclusive uh, demographic. And so it's kind of how we came about merger of some sorts. It was, it was a hello process, right? And so here we are now. Um, and, and really what I'm grateful for, I think our niche in the city of Harrisburg, I think what makes us distinct is, and, I, and I've not 
no one has kind of challenged this yet. So if they want to challenge it, they can. I think we're like the only contemporary space uh, that's also deeply progressive in our city and our area. Um, and so if someone's wanting to be a part of a, a non-traditional space that's also deeply inclusive and that we, and for us, we want to care and say things that matter in the world, I, I think we're it. And so um, I think as a niche, an ethic of mine is like, I want when someone's part of our church, it to be life-giving. And, and the moment that it's boring or it's you're burning out, I'm going to invite you to leave or like if you need to take a time out from how you're serving. Like I just really, I maybe for me and maybe I'm naive, I really think when, when Jesus thought about the church and when God thought about the church, I think, or even when gathering with people, I think it should be the one of the most life-giving places that we connect with people. And often it's like some of the most, it's full of drudgery and we do it out of obligation mm-hmm. or Catholic guilt and we do it because we feel like we're to do it. Uh, and so for us, I'm just really grateful that because of that, like we're incredibly young, like honestly, like, I don't know, 65% of our church is on the age of 40. And so like every Sunday, I just, even this past week, I looked at one of our services and like, I feel like I'm the old guy in this space and I'm <laughs> in my thirties. Right. Um, and so that just creates like this beautiful diversity of age, but also ethnicity, also gender identity, sexual orientation as well. Um, and, and really maybe like, I don't know, maybe this is what I want to be about Piper and Michael. I just want people to feel like they found like, belonging. Like we live in an isolated world and people are lonely and um, it's hard. Like the world's hard and, and and life happens to us or life happens. We do life that happens to us. And so how can people like, they, like belong here? And like, no matter, like every Sunday I say this and I might be jumping ahead, but every Sunday I say this, like, no matter what you did last night or what you plan to do tonight, like you belong here. Um, and we just really want that ethic to be a part of, a part of us. And so like, I'm not going to be a super like, convicting evangelical kind of preacher who's going to like, you know, you suck. Like people know they're guilty already. Like shame and guilt are so natural to us. And so we just want to be the antidote to that um, and just experience Jesus, which I think is, is always an invitation to something good in their life. Um, so I think that's a little bit of, of who we are. Um, it's, I will say this, like it's been a wild four four years. It feels like every year we're like, it's like journey 4.0 or like journey 5.0. Um, and so um, I just think we're pretty nimble. And so we just we just want to do whatever we can to connect with people, build relationships in and outside of our church, um, and experience Jesus. That's good. Chris, can I ask a follow-up to something you just shared? Because I think it's so important for our, our listeners to maybe wrestle with for ourselves. But, um, you know, you said you want to create a community of belonging, right? And in Fresh Expressions, we talk about belonging before believing evangelism in the sense of it used to be like you know accept these intellectual propositions ascent to this and now you got the golden ticket so when you die you know you'll go to this post-mortem destiny and very removed from like your current life and healing and shalom spreading through the whole community um and i get pushback because the the believing part that has to be at everybody's pace at their own pace and it has to be intrinsic to who they are in the spiritual path that they're pursuing. And so people push back on me sometime and say, well, where's, you know, the discipleship aspect or when people come to, and I'll say like, oh, so you want me to do God's job? Like you want me to do the the transfiguration and the, no, no, we're just going to create this community for belonging and, and kind of trust that God is alive and the Holy Spirit's moving in people's life at their own pace. So, so how do you respond to that? Uh, yeah, it's a great, um, 
yeah, part of my welcome that I always give every Sunday is like, no matter what you think about God, even if you don't believe in God, we're just glad that you're here, right? Like genuinely. And so um, I think how to respond to that is like, first, when I think about Jesus or discipleship or the church, like I, I, I can't divorce it from relationship among people and community. And so why I value belonging so, so much is like, I, when I think about the way in which Koinonia and the way in which Jesus wanted us to be formed as people in the world, it was first in relationships with entrusted relationships with people who know us and and know the, the great parts of us and the parts that we don't know what really to do with and or the parts that we're wrestling with or the questions that we have. And so for me, I always first read in like it's deep relationships. And, and honestly, it's probably going to be over that coffee or over that beer. Like I, I see discipleship as like so informal and, and, you know, people will disagree with me, right? I think it's actually informal conversations over beer, over coffee, doing life. And then you just ask questions and, and you just share. And so for me, I'm pretty, pretty honest. Like I, I'm regularly sharing my own deep questions about God publicly and privately to say, I, I want to create spaces where like, you know, I, I too got like my own list of questions that I have about God and about God's existence. And so even though I'm ordained and, you know, all of those things that like I've, I've written the paper, but I still have these questions. And so I, I'd first, I think relationships and, and community is actually where I think the, the most formative discipleship occurs. Because honestly, like, well, I, I don't really, I, I know this is going to be out there in the world, right? But I, I think this, like, these lists of, like, um, theological premises or tenets that, that every person must know, like, I think that's important for people to know so that we're helping form great community that's, that's not harmful and that's life-giving. But I honestly, I would say I want people to experience community and the love of Jesus more than I want them just to know a set of things because people know a set of things and they're still jerks to their neighbors that hmm. they, they still they still are so divorced from from real people and real needs so in some ways I might prioritize wrestling and questions and love all rooted in worship or community or communion even right like that we can take these practices of the faith and just allow it to be connected to the real world and so um, so for instance like all of our community groups discipleship exist in homes or in coffee shops, in bars. We have no formal discipleship in our church building. And that's so intentional. Like, I, like we don't need to sit here and like listen to some talking head. Let's just be in community. And and in the midst of our life, we like talk about things that matter. And and then we might pray for one another. Like if it makes sense, it's natural. Um, but to, maybe I might say like, just how can we de-institutionalize the formation of Jesus because I think that's where real life happens and real faith formation happens. I don't know if that really gets you out of your question, Michael. I think it does. Um, I, and I, I think people just have this really stuck paradigm about what discipleship is. And they have this preconceived idea of what, you know, we're going to build a disciple like a Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head. And at the end, they're going to look like this or whatever. I find like you're, what I think I hear you saying is in um, these relationships in the context of these relationships with God and with each other. Um, for me, the, the, the discipleship aspect of it is helping people know that they're beloved of God and helping them yeah. like re like throw off uh, those negative shame, guilt kind of statements and helping them those, those unhelpful identity things. Right. Um, and center themselves in that. And then then sometimes it's about working through the really unhelpful images of God or those toxic images of God that people might carry, um, which sad to say this, I'm not trying to pick on the church too much, but the church has actually 
caused a lot of those self-image things and those God image things. So just un, un, you know, binding those things in the context of community, what if that's discipleship, like people really coming alive in who they are and in their relationship with God? Mm. So do you, do you sense that's kind of happening in your community as you're in these relationships or... Yeah, I, and I would say, like, I appreciate kind of that that kind of framing because I just always think about, like, it's I think of Jesus as an invitation often to be known and to be loved, right? We can read that so much in scripture. But that's kind of, that's the first, that's the first act, right? This this deep uh, kind of knowing and loving. And, and so, yeah, like, I think about uh, so, so many and particularly, like, um, those who have significant church hurt, um, or those who are brand new to church, right? It's it's those two groups of folks who were they're coming and be part of our community. I don't like to use the word attracting because like we we literally have zero marketing. Like it's just we're just being us, and people are showing up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's 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 those places where I think people and I hear more and more like that they're just longing, uh, and some of them have so much head knowledge about God, but they just so long uh, to feel like they they belong and, and that that who they are is good. Right. Like, and I think so long the church has said who you are is bad. So change it. Right. And so, so then we're trying to figure out what's the target. And, and so in some ways I, I find that. And so I can pick up even some coffee that I had with someone yesterday. Um, it's openly gay male. Um, he, he just left the church because of church harm and he didn't know that a church could be inclusive. And so he, he was Googling us. And part of what I just said to him, like, I just felt like this is my prophetic role. I just was like, Royce, you're, you're good and you're beautiful. And like, I'm just sensing this God, a part of you. Right. And, and so in some ways, maybe, maybe what I see our role discipleship is like helping draw out the God, the image of God in them, the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. Like I see that as what discipleship is, like helping them see that they have worth the divine is something in them rather than. And like believe these things and say these prayers and don't do these this list that I'm gonna create for you rather than just like be you and, and then I believe that through that God can shape and mold and do what God needs to do to write and get rid of the harmful aspects of us. But I, I first think like if we don't know that we're loved and, and good, thank goodness, it's it's a really hard world to live in if you don't have that sense. And so mm. I think about Royce uh yesterday uh mm. and uh yeah, and I might tell a little bit more of a story in a bit, but I, I just I think of Royce and just yeah. him feeling and just glowing. I mean, you saw in his face, he's gonna smile in, in a way that was just really, was really mm-hmm. beautiful to me. That's cool. Yeah, I have a friend who's he, he left religion and Christianity because of a lot of the harmful things that he grew up in the very, very conservative Christianity. And he was like, and I didn't know what affirming went and when I learned what that was and I learned that there were inclusive churches, I was like, Oh yeah, I could be that kind of Christian. You know, it's like some people, they just, that potential, I guess is not out there because other voices can be loud, but it also makes me think about um, with liberation theology, there's this idea that there's, you know, there's orthodoxy, um, right belief, orthopraxy, right praxis and orthopathy right? Uh, passion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like liberation theology does the praxis first, it does the orthopraxy, and then the doxy comes next, you know, it comes later. And I feel like you're talking about relational things. I almost feel like that's a blend of emphasizing orthopraxy in orthopathy first, you take do the work of connecting with people and learning their stories, and telling them that they're loved, 
and then any of this any of the other stuff learning about beliefs creating some more structure figuring out um you know one's theology or doctrine and those kind of things those come those can come later and that's what fresh expressions you know the idea of be, uh, belonging before believing comes in i see those those aspects there hmm. yeah yeah i just really appreciate that piper just continue that like framing um because in some sense, I wonder, it's, it's actually the, the question of like, like, like hierarchy of needs and like before one can actually feel safe enough to begin to think about how their ideological life or their own theological framework might need to be altered or affirmed or, or expanded, it might be the best word to use there, that one needs to feel safe, mm. uh, that they could be authentic in themselves. And so like, goodness, like... <laughs> we can have the right belief all we want all day but if we're like jerks um or if we like don't know how to like don't actually how to rightly like be in a relationship with people it seems really harmful um, yeah again, maybe we should talk about harm a little bit yeah how much the church is well harmful. it's funny because you talked about you talk about having coffee with somebody have you heard of like the joke in the ex-evangelical world of like um you know dun 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 the the pastor asks you to for coffee when you ask if their church is inclusive because usually it means that you're going to sit down with them and they're going to say whoa and then they'll go on in this little like speech or whatever so i love that you're doing the opposite you're like like i'm not i'm not going to do the little reversal on you i actually want to have coffee with you and tell you that you're loved and that you belong that's great yeah because maybe the maybe the whole faith is meant to be liberating and liberation right like Mm -hmm. Maybe that was the point of it all, anyways. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. L- let's go a little bit further with this, okay? Because I'm, I'm right now. I'm all in this world of like the missio dei and how, if you don't do that in the passio dei or the passion of Jesus or the canonic self-emptying, you know, love of Jesus, the missional church movements cause a lot of harm if you don't ground it in the way that Jesus went about mission, which was loving people unconditionally, building relationships, inviting everybody to the table, and then in the context of those relationships. So I've been, I love what you said, um, Piper, about compassion and Chris, like what I love about Wesleyan theology, and I know everybody here that is part of our podcast is not Wesleyan, but it's, it's the innate goodness that we emphasize it's the very goodness. So the first word that God speaks over humanity is very good, made in my image. Like God is like, wow, look what look what we made here, talking to the Trinity. And then you get, you know, the I, I love how Elaine Heath, we had her on a couple of weeks ago, frames it with like original trauma. So there's like a wound that comes, there's this third party that comes in and, you know, and then there's this trauma that we experience, this woundingness. And then life is a journey from healing from original woundedness rather than original sin. Like you were talking, Chris, you suck and you're like irreparably bad. And, but there's, that's one way to think about God's grace, but that can be really harmful for somebody who's already carrying those kind of self uh, thoughts. Right. But to say, no, you're very good made in the image of God innately good. Like in compassion research, human beings literally are wired for goodness. Like, our whole st- structure, our vagus nerve, our brains are wired for compassion. And even Charles Darwin was talking about, you know, sympathy being the strongest human instinct that 
human human culture uh, species survived and thrived not because they were survival the fittest or because they get but because they actually could experience empathy uh, uh, take care of the most vulnerable in the community and give of themselves in this and like we're literally wired for that we're not we're not wired for bad and to be to suck actually our whole sympathetic nervous system our brain everything's wired for compassion and love so when Jesus is being stirred to the bowels with compassion and he's seeing the needs of the people and he's having an emotive experience and then he's responding, like that's the deepest part of what a human being is, right? And so what I found though is where where that can get stuck, it's like the, the more actual primal part of human beings where some say the reptilian brain or whatever, it gets stuck in like the prefrontal cortex ideology theology space. So like toxic theology can dampen our ability to be loving, compassionate people. Um, so yeah, tell me your thoughts about that, Chris. Yeah, that's that's really good. And 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 it maybe maybe it's the question that that I think about is in like, um, it might be the question like what what are what are we what is our disciple what are we discipling people into or or about right? And so first off, like wow, thanks for sharing that, like, that we are wired for compassion. It's just like, and, and already, like, I feel as like we are, like, I, I, it begins to even change my own framework of myself, right? Right, right now, actually, you saying that, right? It's like, that, that's, that's who mm. I am. Um, and it's interesting. I wonder if, like, so often with discipleship, it's been, or the church has been so much a, an, an avenue of, like, control. Mm. And uh, they, they want to control people to to for some ulterior game i don't really know what it is right like we could talk about like racism and we could talk about how like the white you know wh why the church was so kind of um apathetic to racism because they really wanted to control it was like the game of theology they wanted to control people to keep them down and to keep, to keep them slaves mm. right and so we can think about like how like how the church has or people let me just use that language people has have co-opted even just the heart of, of the gospel heart of even art the very way that God created us uh, for control and power and influence and some ulterior political game. Um, so I'm just reminded like, wow, like what is within us that we want to corrupt the very goodness that God would want of us based on theology, ideology um, um, as, as well. Um, that, that's just kind of, kind of what comes to my mind uh, as, as you kind of named that. Um, and, and then maybe it's the like, Christian, like, what are what are we actually discipling people into? And, yeah. Well, th that's actually a good um, segue into uh, like the journey. Um, so, social justice, inclusion are obviously important values at the journey. Um, so, in what ways do you put those values into practice as a community? Yeah. So, I'll say from the very beginning of our church, we we I named right. So, as a brown male. We're in a city that's 70% black, 30% white, um, a larger kind of central PA area that's really white. Our city is probably the kind of a hub of culture, hub of diversity. Um, I think what's interesting is for the first kind of year, uh, it was kind of just there, kind of part of it. Like I you know, talked about being multi-ethnic, those kind of things. But it was really the death of George Floyd that really kind of just changed it for us. And so uh, when George Floyd was murdered in May of 2020, some of the black members just begin to call me and they just begin to be irate and they see the pastor. And, and I remember honestly feeling like I'd only ever been part of white church before. Right. Um, and so it's just in this moment, it's like, 
wow, like kind of what was our pastoral response? What, what was I what was I to do? Like what's the church's role to do, right? Um, and that just really from May 2020 till now, it's kind of began this journey for us to really begin to take this seriously. If we're, if we're going to be a, for me, it's actually a matter of integrity. If we're going to be a church in, in a predominantly black city, we got to figure out like how we can identify social justice and, and be able to say and to speak on, on behalf of black lives that they have matter and they have worth. Um, that we have to figure out how to be a church that can we do that with integrity or we're we just going to be one more church who's like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, and we just keep going on with our life, and we don't actually think about substantive or uh, uh, kind of a substance change. And so so for us, it became part of our core value. Uh, one of the cool things, we, we created a Justice League that I, that I often think people who joined the Justice League were thrilled. They're like, if only I would have learned as a kid, I could join a Justice <laughs> League one day. And so a Justice League that's led by some of our uh, uh, incredibly gifted Black leaders of our church who um, just really helped think think about things on a variety of levels. So they first think about things like on a, like a cultural level. And so like they're in two weeks from now, they're throwing this like huge, like black history, uh, cultural night at our church, right? So black owned businesses, trivia night, it's going to be like kind of this like fun night in our church, right? But I think about that, but they also think about like power. And that's probably the thing that we talk about a lot is like, who has the power? Whose voice is being heard? Whose voices are not being heard? Who's not at the table, right? And we don't do that well. Like, I mean, we, we're we continually challenged. I was in a conversation earlier today, and it's like, again, we're asking the question, like, are we missing a certain voice at the table? Because for me, when I think about social justice and inclusion, it's not a matter about me feeling good about myself, but it's a matter of, like, in the deepest level of our church community, in the deepest level of our relationships, are we creating a space where we're not simply accommodating or accommodating diversity, but that we are expecting it to come and we're willing our very ethos of our organization to be changed and altered because of the richness of God's people being a part of our community. Uh, and so can I tell you though, like it's hard work. I lose people mm -hmm. all the time because of this, because A, we talk about it too much, right? And so they wonder, are we worshiping social Jesus or, or, or social justice or Jesus, right? And I'm like, ah, you're, that's the question you're asking this is a difficult, right? Or like I lose people because um, uh, we don't do it enough or we don't do well enough. I, I lost a prominent family in our church this past fall uh, just because they they themselves couldn't, we couldn't figure out how to make sure that they feel like they belong in our safe here. So I want to first say as much as I think we're doing social justice and inclusion, it's hard work. It's harder work than just being a homogenous mm -hmm. church um, and, and everyone with the same kind of culture. And so we're just everyday. We don't talk about, ironically, in our church, we don't talk about we sing hymns or contemporary music. That's not an argument we ever, we've ever ever talked about. Because for us, we're talking about, is our is our worship too white or too black, right? Is is our style of preaching too white or too black? Is our, is our values, right? Like, who are we trying to be? And so I might say the core of this for us is, um, I believe that the Jesus in the gospel has implications for the public square. And in the public square, it's matters of justice and inclusion for all kinds of people, for our siblings of color, um, for um, LGBTQIA friends, for Asian, our Asian siblings. And so for me, maybe where it shows up most in our church is that if you're part of the journey, you know that we will regularly and often talk about this. You will hear me say things about social justice, inclusion, race, pride. We'll do sexuality conversations. My language is super inclusive, always and everywhere. Um, and, and that this is part of it. And so it's normative for us to talk about things that are hard. 
we'll have family meetings, right? That's what I like. Oh, let's have a journey family meeting. And it's not meant to be inclusive. It's just meant to be that we're going to talk about something really serious, actually, that just willing to talk about um, how the scriptures uh, kind of are. My orientation is like, I think the gospels, the Bible is meant to be liberation. And so I have this viewpoint of the gospels that is meant to liberate people. And James Cohn would say this, but to really embody this kind of liberation, we have to listen to the voices that are on the margins, or as Howard Thurman would say, with their backs up against the wall. Like Jesus came um, uh, to, to to kind of lift up and empower. And, and I might end with this, like because I'm getting really passionate. And I'm, I'm, I'm I can begin to preach now, right? I just see like I like I actually see the Gospels as this great leveling, is what I call it. It's the religious know-it-alls and and the religious powerful people of the world. It's like they're bringing brought low. And those who are the least and the last and those who have their backs up against the wall in society are brought up. And I see the gospel as this great leveling uh, between um, all of God's kingdom being brought together and, and having equal power um, and having equal spot, equal position uh, in the community. So ours is a faith community, but I think it can show up in all aspects of, of the public uh, and, and kind of the private world as well. Hmm. I will preach. <laughs> Turn that into a sermon. <laughs> that was really great. And I see that. I see this talking about power because that was like a lot of this is that is a big theme. And you see that with like, why would somebody be uncomfortable with having these hard conversations? Because they are being asked to look inward and to question the ways that they are wielding their own power in terms of their privilege and things like that. Um, and I think that's something with fresh expressions that when they're done well, they should be, it should be this constant investigation into where the power is. And that's why a lot of people leave the church and find themselves in something like fresh expressions or something outside the church, because they're so, everything is so top down hierarchy. And so when critiques come from below, they are rarely heard. Or the progress that does happen is like molasses, barely moving, you know, if it moves at all. Um, and so I, I absolutely love the idea of that leveling. And I think that can happen in fresh expressions when the person who's the leader lets go of as much power and as much of the say in how things go as possible, because it's not their community. They're like, that's how I think with the group I have called Brew Theology. Um, I call myself the facilitator because I'm not in charge. I'm just the one who has the time to coordinate with the locations and to print the handouts and to help kind of facilitate conversation. Like that's what I'm doing. That doesn't mean I'm in charge. Just means that I help it kind of happen. And I don't ever want to be, have people think that I have any more like power because I'm checking in constantly and I want people to feel like they are a part of it because it's their community just as much, if not more than it's my community. And so why would they not have just as much a say in what it looks like? And I, and that also means a willingness within me to be critiqued and to be challenged and to listen when I mess up and to learn from it uh, as a person of privilege. That's, that's the only way that justice would come is, is if I'm willing to let go of that power and to listen and to be told if I messed up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that even just the language around facilitating, yeah. right? Uh, like isometric public like cultivating, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, um, yeah, and 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 what I appreciate, Piper, and, and I don't know if many people would really want this, is just like to be open to critique. Like that's really that takes a level of 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 strength. Maybe going back to like 
and a strength in like knowing that we are ourselves known and loved and we have value, right? To be critiqued in that way is really hard. And um, I once said publicly, like to be a part of a social justice, inclusive, multi-ethnic church, you should expect that 100% of the time that you will offend someone and 100% of the time mm-hmm. that you will be offended. Like if we're really gonna live out this like beloved community, as Dr. King would say, or mm-hmm. Jesus would call it, you know, the kingdom of God, right? Like that there takes a level of like being willing to, um, to offend or, or be critiqued or, mm-hmm. or, or whatnot um, as, as well. And I might just say, if it's okay, like I, a part of our community that I think is maybe important around this is we singularly talk about like who we are as a community rather than what we do. We, we rarely in meetings or in public conversations, we really talk about, we really talk about like, here are the things that we're going to do. It's like, well, we're just going to like worship sometimes. We're going to have groups in people's homes and we're going to, care for our neighbors right like we're really not that complex of a, of a church right like we should have all these problems we don't we just we're trying to be really simple because we want to care about who we are and so it really matters to me of like like who are we and are we jerks or are we deep are we offering radical hospitality are we are we checking our privilege are we checking and that's privilege beyond just race right like that's also like um as a, as a heterosexual male, I have to check my own privilege uh, as it relates to even sexuality and, and, our, and, um, and as a cisgender male, like I just, I think I'm going to think about like checking privilege of just like where that is, or, you know, I'm using a computer and I have a master's degree. And mm-hmm. so that's privilege, right? And so economic privilege. And so who are we becoming in community so that we're not, um, yeah, caring about what we do, but not who we are. Kristen, I, I love how you model that out. And uh, I'm Piper and I, if we're honest, we're, we're kind of like, um, you know, selfishly pointing to some of the most awesome people that we know that are doing some of the coolest stuff um, in ministry. And I get a lot of like pushback and people say, oh, the United Methodist Church is dying. And I know we're in a bigger conversation than this. So I don't want to get caught up in schism thinking, but um, the, 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 the idea that you know it's it's fading, it's dying because of this or that reason, uh, and this new, more exclusive, more you know is going to be the the future, right? And then I point to people like you that are actually creating community. That this is the future, like this this is what the church should look like today. It probably should have always looked like this, but because we've lived in this you know invisible pyramid, this racial hierarchy, all these things. And then I think about how you're doing that in a shared leadership model, whereas, um, you know, the the whole the, in the promise, promise keepers movement, there was this idea of like, you know, just be friends with persons of color and that'll, you know, heal the world. And like, yes, that's a little small fraction of it. Right. And then even in the multi-ethnic church conversation, which I think is helpful and it moves us forward. But there's also this lack in the shared power dynamic. So there's tokenism. There's, It's still at the top of the pyramid or the hierarchy, if you will, mostly white people making decisions and operating from that, you know, um, basically colonialist, expansionist kind of thinking. Um, and, and so when I hear things like, you know, have people of color on the stage or whatever, still all of that is not a shared power dynamic where we're sitting around the table as equals and everybody has equal, like what you're talking about, Piper, we're, we're shaping it together and nobody's more important. Nobody's above. And that's actually what I think happens at Pentecost, right? The Holy spirit gets poured out on everybody equally. Hmm. It's a shared distributed power dynamic 
where everybody shares in the spirit at an equal level. It's not, you know, this hierarchy thing that we like to create. So tell us about, I, I, I know you said it's not easy and, and that shared power dynamic, how you're always giving your power away or giving it back or keeping a community, uh, you know, not centered on you, but, but keeping that kind of communal shared power dynamic. Help us, help us, uh, teach us how you do that. Well, I'm not trying to do it great or perfectly, but I'll, I'll just share some of, of how I try to do it. I, I think first I, I have this uh, opinion about like collective genius is always more important than individual genius. And so I, I genuinely know, and I've said this very publicly, I know I am not the smartest person in most rooms in our church. Uh, and so whenever we're having a conversation or whenever with people, I'm just going to trust that, that the person in front of me, that their lived experience, who they are, that they have, that their voice and their opinion has equal, if not more value in this church than I do, right? Um, and, and, and the longer we are at the journey, even the more, I would say, the more keys I'm giving away to people. Um, and so if we're going to do something around race or around justice, or around sexuality, um, what, whatever it may be, honestly, like... I'm going to first ask the question, whose voice needs to be the leader of it, right? Like, because I, maybe what I, maybe a different way to say it is like, I'm going to trust the experts, right? Like, I, I think sometimes in, in the church where, because I don't know, pressure, the way in which our pastoral jobs are oriented, like, we sometimes feel like we have to be the resident expert on everything, right? Because we're the ones up front giving this long monologue every week that's half boring anyways, right? So, um, and so in some sense, right, not yours, Michael, just mine, right? Like, so it's like, to be, like so I, you know, like in some sense, I have to believe that like the very people that, that God, for some reason, along our paths across this community, that like that their voice, their opinions, their lived experience, that they're the resident experts. And so first off, like, if any, any service I'm going to do anything special, um, I will always ask the people in our church, like, okay, I need your voice to speak into this. And and so then everything we've done around justice has always been, I think, more enriching and meaningful because it's not been my idea. It's number one. Number two, from the top, is, like from our board down, right? Because we still have to have a board, right? Like, we don't ask the question, we, we like, whose voice needs to be heard there? It's from our top board. Like, it is so radically diverse. And so first off, like, that that group, it's like if we're gonna say this, like that group has to be first, right? Like it has to be diverse, and and it's messy, and we don't we don't always agree because we don't see the world the same way, um, and then even down to staff that we have uh, and then leaders and all things. I think another way that we do this is I often frame everything that we do as a conversation, uh, and so we are having a conversation as a church, right? And so we will create environments, we will sit around tables. We will, we will go deeper and it's us having a conversation more often. There's only been one time that it's been more around me kind of giving a lecture, per se, per se, and that was around sexuality because I wanted to give a framework around a biblical theological framework for inclusion. But outside of that, Michael, like, remember, like it's just a, a conversation. Uh, and, and maybe the last thing I would say um, around this, not only am I thinking in, inside of our community, but also outside. Like, I regularly have people from our community who are church and unchurch speaking into our church on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so um, regularly, there are people preaching, giving conversation like guides, right? Who I don't know if they're Christians, right? Or I think they are. They're people of faith, but I don't really. They're not Methodist per se, right? But uh, but they're speaking into. And so for me, I just I'm always thinking about who are the right voices in our my city. So it's diverse and it's beautiful. Who can enrich our community? And so since like the first Sunday of January, I have barely preached because there's been the right voices coming into our church. This just give life to our community. And so 
Um, I try to even give that away. I think preachers kind of want to hold the preaching kind of like, I just, I'm willing to give that away. Now it's intimidating and sometimes better preachers come and lead. And then I, and then I have to show up the next week and still try to preach. Right. So it's, it's humbling. Right. But, but it's part of that as well. I think another thing that I, I might say is like, and this is, I think, important for church staffs or like leaders. Is like, who are we reading? If we're only reading white men who are within our theological field, it's like that's so limiting. And so I regularly show up. There's a couple of universities in our area show up at different lectures around race or around gender or around sexuality, so that I am being formed as a leader around what are the what are the growing um, conversations that are happening um, or or, or themes so that I can even think about how we're shaping our faith community in particular. And so, um, and I, I might just end with this, like I, I can acknowledge, I probably couldn't have always done this in my adult life, but like I can, I can acknowledge most days that I'm not the smartest person in the room. Uh, and I think if I start with that every day, then I'm, I'm willing and I want to listen. I need to listen to those voices who are around me and I need to add those voices. Um, so that might be the thing. Like, but if I think I'm the most important or my most fragile, insecure days, um, <laughs> it's just going to be Chris and his own self. Mm. I love that. And that is very Wesleyan of you, John Wesley, equipping lay leaders all the time to preach, even though people um, people around him didn't like it and thought he was being, you know, whatever. He's too out there. But there were people that had the passion and had, you know, the anointing of the spirit to speak and had something to say and had the ability to lead. And so Wesley said, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And he made it happen. So it's very Wesley. <laughs> um, earlier you mentioned talking about how your church talks and thinks more about who you are rather than what you do. And that goes really well with this question that we have written, which is what do you think is the difference between being church rather than doing church? And what does it look like in your church's context? Um, so great question. Um, it's probably the hardest question for me to think about just because it's like, it's such a temptation to do things or, or as a, in our kind of productive culture to like, we want to produce these things. And so I may, uh, if someone was asking me like, what do I really want people to, um, what do I want people to do if, uh, because they've come to the journey? Like, what do I, like, what do I want people to be or who to do? I, to be honest with you, like, I just really want people to be less jerks in the world. I want people to be this hateful in the world. I want people to be selfish and kind of inward. And I just want people to like live like Jesus, right? And, and I, that sounds so cliche. And I don't even, I'm sorry, Piper Freeman used language, right? Like, but but there's something about that. I, I just think that the way in which Jesus literally like touched people who were untouchable or would talk to people who were, who people want to talk to, uh, or Jesus would like, heal on the sabbath day and change all the religious like i just i just i i hear like that message even for kind of our modern day so for me like i i want people to like be less jerks in the world because of jesus and then the next time they see their neighbor who doesn't speak their same language they're a little bit more patient with them and they're not racist right i, I want someone when they meet someone who has a different sexuality than them that, that they can begin to learn and want to grow in empathy and love um, I think for me, being church also means, and this is really hard, and we fight this mission almost every day, that really the, at the core of it is not about an institution. Like it's not about paying the bills, keeping the lights on. It's not about this structure that I happen to reside in, right? Or as, as, as a church, right? I think the temptation is like we can become, even in our denomination, but just so internal and so survival 
that like even on the worst case, I just want to like I wanted to send people and, and I said this in a sermon in the fall and, and it kind of shook people up. I just like I think the gospel is about throwing parties in neighborhoods. So go home and throw throw a banging party, right? And in our church, like we have the black owned uh, we have only black owned brewery in our, in our, in our state. Actually, they attend our church, uh, the, uh, Tim wide and, and this black owned, um, uh, a Queens barbecue kind of place. And so I, I said that something like hire, get the, get the brewery, get the beer from Tim and get the barbecue from Anya and just go through parties. And, and so I think like being church means like showing up in our community, showing up in our neighborhood and like literally being like, fun and engaging and just like and 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 experience your life and you're doing that probably because you know jesus deemed you loves you wants you to like that i think that's what it means and sometimes doing church means we're going to put on these programs and we want to be the coolest church on the block and we we want to have good advertising because we this like attractional like that's doing the act versus being the like the party and the like life-giving and and the fun and i might extend that to say and having the practices that help us stay centered, right, in, in the world. And so that might be worship, that might be prayer, that might be scripture reading, right? We are a little bit, you know, traditional in that sense. I think those are important, but not first, but just to keep us centered so that we can be uh, these people in the world. Um, that's probably how I'd say it. Um, and, and for us, honestly, because we have so many young adults, like the moment I say something cliche or the moment that we are too like wonky, they're just like, they're like they'll they'll laugh at me. They're like, okay, pastor, right? You're being a pastor today, right? And so, in some ways, like, I think it's helpful to have young or young people or like people in the margins, the skeptics of church, to be around to say, like, eh, I don't know if that works in the real world, right? And so, part of that reminds me of like how often we like this is exclusive doing church people versus like being being love and goodness and and Jesus in the world, being yeah. church. That's probably how I would Because if you're that. being something, it's something that you don't really ever stop being. So when you walk out of the church building, you're still being the church, right? You're still living it out because it's who you are, not just what you do on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. And if it's right. like a to-do list. Um, and, and I think that's why for me it goes back to life-giving. It's just like, if this isn't life-giving, then, then we are just mm-hmm. doing church. It's the social obligation. But if this is one of the most contagious, good, life-giving communities that we're a part of, then it's just natural flowing out of that um, into the rest of our life because, wow, that was good. And, and not cultish good, right? Mm-hmm. But like genuinely deep good uh, uh, and life-giving in the world. I, I, love I, have this, I have this image. I don't know. I don't know where I got it, but I shared it on Facebook like two years ago and, you know, did that whole thing where it popped back up and it just says, this year I want to be more like Jesus. Hang out with sinners upset religious people tell stories that make people think choose unpopular friends be kind loving and merciful and take naps on boats <laughs> <laughs> i think that's perfect and then maybe chris you would add and that. have some fun parties <laughs> throw lots of parties yeah <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say that's the central <laughs> thing that jesus did like the the religious leaders were always on him about it he's throwing parties with a bunch of sketchy people that they thought were unclean and mm-hmm. like, this guy's always at the table with people throwing parties you know what yeah. kind of messiah is this <laughs> yeah yeah I, I recently just said to our church I, said, I think our church is getting a little bit messier and not like physical it can be physical messier, but just like like just our relationships and 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 what the what's normal and right and orderly versus what doesn't have to be mm-hmm. um, throwing parties with whomever. Yeah. 
I think that's what Jesus was up to, too. He was saying, hey, we've created a lot of order, but life's more complicated than that. So let it be a little bit complicated. Find those simple things at the heart of it. Um, but everything else is going to be messy and chaotic and you got to embrace that, right? Hmm. That's good. That's right. So Chris, tell us like your, your vision, your hope for the church. What does the church look like in the future? Uh, Piper, I love what you just said about being uh, super Wesleyan and that ability to like take critique and correction. And I'm I'm like deep into Susanna Wesley's study right now, okay? Because she's become a subject of feminist uh, study and thinking again. Because she was super revolutionary, like she planted a church in her house. But there's this weird, uh, which wasn't women weren't allowed to do that ecclesially or you know any other way. So she has this correspondence with John Wesley because lay people are starting to preach, and John initially he was starting to shut it down, and so she writes this letter to him and says. That man's just as called by God to preach as you are, you know, so let him. So it's like, ooh, mama just corrected. And, but he had the humility to go, you know, you might be right, Mama Wesley. And But just the fact that we tell the story of Methodism and it's about John and Charles all the time because she kind of moves to the background of like, what, what a p- impact does it have on a nine-year-old boy growing up in a house where your mama planted a church, you know, uh, which was completely you know, a fresh expression, but, but so Chris is throwing parties and sharing power and um, being about actual justice and lifting up the oppressed and um, um, the, the disinherited people with their backs against the wall. What do you see in the future with the church? I see, I see the church, uh, I think first, like being a place that can talk about things that matter. And so wherever you can facilitate conversation well and community well, it's a place where we can all equally take our deep grief and, and, and wounds and fears, and we can bring that at a share table, almost, you know, like uh, 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 Brene Brown, who, you know, like the, the, the circle arena, right? Like we all have our faces on the ground and we should only, we should, we should listen to the voices who have their face on the ground with us. Right. And so, so I, I begin to think about actually like, can the church being a place where we can all equally acknowledge our fears and our wounds and our worries. And we do the round table cause it's flat and, and it's just community. And we just help people experience, um, the divine spark within them that is going to help them in the midst of all of those fears and those worries. And so I see it as like coffee shops and I see that as like parties and barbecues uh, and birthday parties. I mean, one of the biggest things that we do as a church, like we throw this huge like community block party every year in August. And it's one of my favorite events, right? And no one knows that we're, well, they know that we're Christian because of our, you know, we're in a church, right? We're blaring music that the neighborhood would listen to, and all the little ladies are probably freaking out in their grave somewhere, right? That we're listening to, like, and it's just parties and it's free ice cream. And it's just like, and I, I just have this image of that being the church, right? That like we would throw monthly parties like that, uh, that maybe we'll worship sometimes because that's important and, and we'll figure out some deep sacredness of scripture and we'll read that out together. I see that, but I also see um, a movement of people out of this place of inclusion and justice, like wanting uh, to people to change the world, but, but not in this tokenistic or colonialism kind of way, 
uh, but that but when they're doing that in collaboration and partnerships with the people who are already doing it. I think maybe this is one of like I see church partnering with every other organization in their cities and towns, helping just be part of that movement of good in the world. Not trying to be the heroes, not trying to do every community ministry because we're told to do that, but just to partner with the real people who have relationships and we're just we're just actually gonna be their allies and support. I see that, right? It's a little bit more decentralized and we're just sending people into the city, right? To seek the welfare of it, as Jeremiah would say. Um, but I also maybe see it, uh, and maybe this is my maybe my prayer, um, and it's hard, and this is maybe me being idealistic. I see a place where gay and straight people, white and black people, young and old, Latinx people, people who are willing, to, ready to give up on God, um, and I might even just say those who have a traditional view of marriage and those who don't. I, I begin. I just pray for the day that we can learn. Um, that even though we don't think alike, that we can love alike and we can learn to be in deep communities together. And, and, and my ethos is this, and this is, this is my line. I have a line in the sand when it relates to this. And my line in the sand is that none of us would ever deny the sacred worth or value of someone else. And so I just long for the day when the church, what, it's, what, it, what it claims is that none of us deny the sacred worth of any other person. And that what we do is actually we want to uplift mm. that sacred worth. We want to expand that sacred worth. We want to help them see that in themselves. So I see the church as that. And so if that means we need to shut down worship, let's do it. If that means we need to sell buildings, let's do it, right? Um, I think it's okay. I'm, I'm going to keep my building probably for a couple more years, right? Uh, so I'm not completely anti any of that. We're going to keep doing worship. But that's what I see. Um, and, and my hope is that that's what we begin to do as people. We just and kind of just see the sacred worth of other people. We just want to help them acknowledge and expand it and that it's good. Um, and, and maybe like Royce, when I thought about my conversation with Royce yesterday, uh, Royce said, I asked him why he's coming to church. I said, Royce, people have harmed you. You went to this weird, cultish, conservative, traditional um, uh, camp for a year. It's this gap year. And it was completely homophobic. And and they were basically trying to pray the gay out of you. And I said, Royce, why did you still show up to my church? Like, why? Like, uh, like you should be gone. And he, and he said, he said this language. He just said, I couldn't give up on God because I knew there was something special about God still. And and, and I, I think it was admirable to me that Royce would willing to do that. And so maybe what I want, I just want to help maybe people, they, they can give up on church. I don't care about the institution. But I really, what I don't want them to do is give up on God, this God who he sees them, created them, and redeems them in this most beautiful way. And so I think the church is about helping people reclaim the God in them and the God of the world. Uh, and then maybe some of the institution will come along uh, with it as well. That's good. That's so good. <laughs> this kind of goes, I had this when we were talking earlier about the Imago Day, I've been reading, sorry to keep bringing up John Wesley, but I've been reading John Wesley's <laughs> sermons in this one good, about <laughs> the, the image of God. He's talking about, you know, what was the Imago Day in man? And he says, man was what God is, love. Love filled the whole expansion of his soul. It possessed him without rival. Every moment of his heart was love. It knew no other fervor. Love was his vital heat. It was the genial warmth that animated his whole frame, and the flame of it continually streamed forth directly to him from whom it came. I love that so much. Mm. Where love is, God is, and where God is, love is. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I see that a lot in what we just talked about, you know, and what you were talking about that. 
we're all worthy of love and even when we don't feel it we are being loved because love is within us and it is like you were saying michael it's the it's the core of who we are even on the like scientific level compassion empathy is it's what we're made to do yeah maybe sometimes because of family relationships and broken homes and broken like it's to, to remind mm-hmm. ourselves of that love when some of us probably have examples of the lack of that so it's probably even hard to even fathom this god uh, and christians who would love because of our own stories mm-hmm. that it feels like the opposite mm-hmm. of love so mm-hmm. i appreciate that reminder that's who god is and that's well chris tell us how how can people keep up with what you're doing where can we find you on websites social media what's next tell our listeners how they can get connected it's great well i'd love to connect with anyone uh on all kind of social media facebook instagram just my name christopher sledge not sledge you'll find that one of the best way to keep up with our church is just also on social media, Instagram, just the thejourneyhpg.org. And I uh, would love to connect with anyone and, and also to, to hear and be inspired by what other people are doing in the world uh, to be about this kind of love in the world. And so I'd love to be part of the collective genius together. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. And to those who are listening, thank you so much for joining in on this episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Chris, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, check out freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See you next time on New People, New Ways.